Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Be a genuine Christian. Live as a martyr, i.e. a witness for Christ. Live as a witness. Be genuine. Be sincere. If the time should ever come to lay down our lives for Christ's sake, remember the spirit of glory and of God will, will rest upon us. Now, like I said, I mean, you know, that might probably never happen, but you just never know. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Acts, chapter 6, verse 8, through chapter 7, verse 60, in a message titled, The First Christian Martyr. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Fast forward to 1555. Latimer and Ridley, this is during the time of the English Reformation, and they are condemned by the queen at the time, and they are sentenced to death, and they are burned at the stake in the city of Oxford on Broad Street. You can go there today. I've been there many, many times. There's, the, there's actually a monument to them. Nobody even knows what it is today. It's a bunch of, you know, usually a bunch of trash around and stuff, but it's actually right outside of a church the doors of a church as well. But this is the place where these two men, Latimer was the older, Ridley was the younger, uh, these two reformers, this is where they were burned at the stake. But while the fires were being kindled, Latimer said this to Ridley. He said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. And, you know, that was a prophetic word, I think, because 500 years later, the, the, the candle is still not put out. Even though there have been numerous efforts to snuff it out, the gospel still is shining in England today. And then we have John and Betty Stem. I made a reference to them. John and Betty Stem, if you ever read the story, and by the way, all of these people that I'm referring to today, we have just, there's great books you know, that talk about their histories. Sometimes it's a, you know, single volume about their lives, or maybe they're, it's a compilation of different stories. But we actually have a number of books in the bookstore that'll tell you the, the, the details of these stories. But John and Betty Stam were a young couple uh, who felt a great burden to go to China in the early part of the 20th century. And so, you know, they were, they were a brilliant couple. They were a young married couple. They prepared. They did all of their language and, you know, all of this stuff. And they go to China. And before they can ever really even launch into their ministry, the communist uprising, they are just seemingly randomly taken and they're beheaded. That's a horrible story, really, in many ways. There's a little book, though, that's written about their lives called The Triumph of John and Betty Stam. When Cheryl was 12 years old, she was telling me this yesterday, she was 12 years old, her dad was going somewhere, you know, traveling somewhere around the world, and when he would go, she would always say, Dad, you know, bring me something back from, you know, wherever it is you're going. She wasn't, didn't remember where it was he was going at the time. But anyway, he went on the trip, he came back, and he brought this book, and it was this book, The Triumph of John and Betty Stam. Now, she, she's 12 years old. And he says, oh, honey, this, I, I got you this book. I saw it, and I, I want you to have it. This is one of my favorite books. 
And so she reads it. She's 12. She reads it. She's like, this is one of your favorite books. Dad, this is scary. Oh, no. Is the Lord telling me that I'm going to be a martyr? You know, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, it, 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 you know, it's one of those stories where that's what you think at the end. You're just like, wait, th this doesn't seem like it should have ended this way. But see, here's the thing. It didn't end that way. They were transported into glory. But not too many years later, when the communists, 1949, when the communists came to power, all the missionaries and Westerners were expelled from China, and the Chinese Christians came under an intense persecution where they were deprived, where they were imprisoned, where they were put to death. And everybody thought that this was the end of Christianity in China. Oh, those Western missionaries. I've read, I've read stories of people that were there at the time who when they were expelled, as far as they were concerned, it's over. You know, the gospel had its brief hour in China and now it's, it's you know, gonna be gone. There were approximately 600,000 Christians in China in 1949 at the time of the, the communist revolution. And this intense persecution with martyrdom ensued, which has gone on still to some degree to this very day. But guess what? There were 600,000 Christians in 1949. There are over 100 million Christians in China today. So you see, it's like Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What he, what he actually said, that's a paraphrase. What he actually said, he was writing to the Roman authorities. He said, when you mow us down, more of us spring up. The blood of the Christians is the seed. That's what Tertullian actually said. And that, that was the case. And obviously that's been the case in China as well. John and Betty Stam. Then, of course, we could talk about Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, those other, the, the five, there were five in total. And you might be familiar with the story through Great Gates of Splendor is the great, you know, volume on this. But they went down, these five young men and their families, they went down to Ecuador to, to reach the Alcas. Now, the Alcas wasn't, that wasn't really the name of their tribe. They were given the name Alcas because of their fierceness. They were fierce killers. And so these guys, they have a burden. They, they want to reach this, this tribal people with the gospel. So they go down and they, they, uh, uh, they try to make contact with them. They seem to have a friendly exchange. They think that it's, it's all going to be good. And in the end, they all get murdered, all five of them. And Again, this seems like, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. But guess what? As time goes on, as we follow the story, the entire tribe ends up coming to Christ. And probably 10 years ago on this very platform, one of the men who was instrumental and involved in the murder of these guys, he stood here and told us his story about how Jesus saved him and forgave him. It's amazing. And so that's another example where we see that, you know, the seed is planted and and in time, the fruit comes forth. Those, uh, those 21 Egyptian Christians that were murdered by, by ISIS, you know what that did? That has actually led many of the Middle Eastern Christians to a personal relationship with Christ. Now, what we might not understand about the Middle Eastern Christianity is, is much of it has, was a nominal Christianity. It was a nominal Christianity, just like here in the United States, where you might say, you know, if somebody asks a person, are you a Christian? They say, oh, I'm a Protestant, 
what does that mean? Well, that means you're just a nominal, you know, you're connected to some religious organization, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Or, you know, I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm, or I'm a Methodist, or something like that. that. That's a nominal, it's like a cultural Christianity. Well, the Middle Eastern Christians were, were that, but their Christian histories went back over, you know, in some cases, 1,800 years. So they're a Christian culture. They're not an Islamic culture. They're not a Yazidi culture. They're a Christian culture. But as, as these people are dying for their faith, this has caused an awakening among them to where their Christianity is not cultural Christianity anymore. It's real Christianity. It's a real relationship with Jesus. And not only have the nominal Christians become biblical Christians, many Muslims and Yazidis as well have, have come to Christ through these horrific things. Now, these are horrific things, yes. But remember, God uses these things. The headline in the Daily Mail, which is a London-based newspaper, other, the Guardian, other, others had a similar headline, but this one from the Daily Mail, this is what it read. It said, kidnapped British missionary shot dead after singing Amazing Grace to lift spirits of fellow captives. Ian Squire. Ian Squire was somebody that I knew. Uh, Ian was part of one of our churches in London. And he had a ministry, he and another fellow, they had a ministry where they go into African nations and uh, they, they were ophthalmologists and optometrists. And so they would go into the African nations and they would take in glasses and they would go in and they would give eye exams and treatments and, you know, give, give glasses to people. They, they did this for many years and tens of thousands of pairs of glasses they provided for people. Well, Ian was uh, on a, a bit of a fact-finding mission to Nigeria doing this kind of thing. And uh, on that particular trip, he was kidnapped along with three other missionaries and out of the four of them, Ian was the one who was killed. And he literally was shot dead the moment he finished singing Amazing Grace to his fellow captives. Everybody was downcast. They were, you know, in kind of a enclosure type of a thing. They had a guitar. Ian picked it up. He joyfully sang Amazing Grace, and, and right at the very end of the song, gunfire cut him down. He died instantly right there. But a second part to the story is that back in the UK, this was huge news. This is a British citizen who is uh, shot down in Nigeria. So this is, this is being discussed in Parliament, you know, Political people are talking about it. This is all over the news. The journalists are talking about it. So my friend and pastor of one of our fellowships in London, because Ian was part of his church, he's called upon to, to give the, the, the memorial message at, at his uh, service, at his funeral. And so there Rob has the opportunity to preach the gospel that Ian believed to over 500 people uh, several, several of them being people in the British government and, and journalists. Now, I, d I don't know at this point, 
I can't tell you that there's some amazing conversion story that's come out of it, but what I can tell you is this, that God has certainly used Ian's death and that service and Rob's preaching to plant the seed of the gospel in the heart of people on that day. And you see, this is the reality of these kinds of things. It looks like a defeat, but it's not. It's part of the bigger plan that God has of advancing his kingdom. And sometimes it's advanced through the, the suffering and the sacrifice. I mean, it's always advanced through the sacrifice of God's people, but sometimes it is the ultimate sacrifice like it was with Stephen. Now, in closing, the word martyr, it comes from the Greek word martis, and it, and it means simply witness. So it didn't originally mean a person that dies for their convictions. It meant, in some cases, it meant a person who testified in a, in a courtroom. But the idea, the reason why, why people who died for their faith started to be called martyrs was because they were dying for their witness. They were dying because they were testifying about Jesus and they were refusing to comply with the authorities and to stop doing that. No, they, they were going to witness. They were going to testify. And even to the point of, if you kill us, we're going to keep preaching. So that's how the, the label came along. Now, here's the question. How was Stephen a witness even to the point of giving up his life for the gospel? And, and what I mean is, how is that possible? How does somebody do that? How can I or we be the kind of witnesses that whether in life or death, Christ is glorified and the gospel is advanced? Now, there, there's a high probability, I guess, that most of us, if not all of us, will probably never actually die as a result of our belief in Jesus. We, we won't be put to death. Now, I'm not ruling it out entirely, but, you know, the probability is, is probably somewhat low, but things can change rather quickly in the world. And of course, this happens in a lot of places that people would never think that it would happen in. But the question is, you know, I mean, how do, how, how can I be a person like that? I, I, I think if we're honest, most of us would say like, man, if that were to happen to me, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could really stand up. I don't know if I could be bold enough. And that's understandable. That, that's a, like a, a very natural response. But how can we be the kind of witness that whether in life or death, Christ is glorified and the gospel is advanced? Well, I want to take us back to what I said early on. Stephen, this is where it starts. Stephen was first and foremost a genuine Christian. You know, it all starts with that. And sometimes as simple as that is, we, that can get lost. I was talking to a guy after the service about something completely unrelated to this, but he was a person in ministry and he was no longer in ministry because of some problems in his life. And, you know, he was just having a hard time really coming to grips with it. And I said, I said, listen, just be a Christian. 
You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be in the ministry. That's not your primary identity. Your primary identity is being a Christian, just a simple Christian. And like I pointed out, that's what Stephen was. Remember, look for seven men among you who are of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. So that's who Stephen was. He was a guy with a good reputation. Stephen was a guy who lived out his faith in his daily life. He was no doubt gracious. He was honest in his dealings. He was sincere. He was caring. He was kind, compassionate. He was a Christian. That's where it all starts. That's how to be a witness. Now, if that witness brings you to the point of they're going to kill you for it, then we'll find out in just a second that there's another aspect to this. But, but Stephen was of good reputation. Stephen was full of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that was a part of Stephen's life because he was a sincere Christian. He was a man who took his Christianity seriously. That's where it starts. That's how we're going to be a witness to Christ, whether we live or die. But if we are called upon to die Let's remember that in the story itself, remember what it says initially when Stephen opens his mouth to begin to speak, it says, and everybody looking at him, they saw his face shone like the face of an angel. And the point is this, the spirit of God was upon Stephen. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.14 that that is the case. When we suffer for Christ's sake, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. And that's what happened. And that's how we can have the confidence that even if it were to come to an extreme situation where we were called to give our life, that the Spirit of God will give us the grace that we need at that time. That's what we need to remember. And as horrible as the situation was with Stephen, remember that even there at the very end, it says as they're stoning Stephen, Every time I read this, I think of getting hit by stones. I think, oh gosh, how brutal that is. And yet as they're stoning Stephen, what is he doing? It's almost like he's not even aware of it. He's looking up. He's seeing Jesus at the right hand of the Father standing. And he says, Lord, Lord, it, it, you know, he's committed himself to the Lord. He's just caught up in this, this heavenly vision thing that's going on. And he even says, don't lay this charge against them. I mean, he's really echoing the very words of Jesus when he was being crucified. But you see, the, the spirit of God was upon him. F.F. F. Bruce, a writer, uh, he said this. He said, an unexpectedly beautiful and peaceful description of so brutal a death. yes unexpectedly peaceful, unexpectedly beautiful, such a brutal death. But then there's this thing happening where God's hand is upon him. And you find that not just with Stephen, but you find that that many times over the, the hand of the Lord is there upon him. So be a genuine Christian. Live as a martyr, i.e., a witness for Christ. Live as a witness. Be genuine. Be sincere. If the time should ever come to lay down our lives for Christ's sake, remember the spirit of glory and of God will, will rest upon us. Now, like I said, I mean, you know, that might probably never happen, but you just never know. In the, the early 1800s, a man named David Jones 
a young Welshman. He was given a call to take the gospel to Madagascar. And um, he went to Madagascar with his family and some others that had the same vision. And they, they met with some real hardship. His wife died, his child died, his, his colleague's wife and child died. And that, that was all very difficult. But they found a very warm reception from the, the people and particularly the king at the time. This is like in the 1820s, 30s. And uh, because the king was favorable, they had free course to, to preach the gospel and to teach people the Bible. And there, there was a great work of God's spirit taking place. But that king died. And the next person that came to power was a queen. And she absolutely hated Christians. She hated Christianity. And she set in motion a, a wholesale slaughter of the Christians. And I, I read this story years ago, but they, they were taking Christians and they were hurling them off cliffs to the, you know, jagged rocks below and their, you know, bodies being dashed and they were, you know, spearing them and torturing them and, you know, just all of these horrible things. And thank God, you know, she eventually died and that stopped and they were, you know, the gospel was able, able to resume. But my point is this, we look at this stuff and we think, oh, yeah, that happened. Man, that back 2,000 years ago, they used to do that. That was horrible. Or we're maybe a little more realistic, and we go, man, that stuff is still happening. But, but you know, it's, it's happening over there. That's where they do that. I'm, I'm staying away from that place. But, you know, it could come here. It can come anywhere. We don't know. But here's the thing. This is, this is something we, it just has to be a reality to us. This is the only way the gospel's going to advance is if we're willing to suffer. Now, God will determine the level of suffering that, you know, we need to engage in. We don't have to go look for it. I want the gospel to advance, so I'm going to go try to find something I can suffer in. Don't, don't do that. You know, it'll come in its time if it's coming, and you don't have to search it out. But... Where is our head in all of this? Are we realizing that this is the case? As more and more in our culture, people say, don't talk about that. Don't say that. We don't want to hear that. You better be quiet. That mentality is prevalent in our 21st century Western culture. And that could easily translate into, you know, these people are not really a you know, a help to the progress. They're a hindrance to it. So we're going to deal with that. So what if that happens? Well, if we are like Stephen, genuine Christians, if we're serious about our faith, then, you know, it is what it is. And we'll just deal with it by God's grace as it comes. And if it ever went far enough to where our lives were on the line, God will meet us there and give us the grace we need. That's what we need to know. But let's be the martyrs. Let's be the martyrs. Whether we live or die, let's be the witnesses for Christ in our day. You know, the truth is, man, the only hope for anything is, is Jesus and the gospel, right? That's the only hope. There, there's no hope. You know, it's just, it's so, it's so far gone. There is just no way that... 
anything is going to change for the better unless the gospel permeates our culture once again. And that's only going to happen if the gospel permeates people's lives. And that's only going to happen if we're living it and telling people about it. For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. The youth of today's culture, both Christian and non-Christian alike, wrestle with the issues of racism, universal truth, identity, science and faith, sexuality and suffering, just to name a few. These are essential topics that any parent, grandparent, guardian or friend should help the next generation answer. The book, 10 Questions That Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.